Well, good morning, Sunset, and uh, we're thankful to be with you. We're thankful for you, and uh, we're going to be in continuing the series in uh, in Hebrews chapter eleven. Uh, so, if you want to turn to your Bible in your Bibles, please, and go to Hebrews eleven. There's notes. We'll uh, we'll try to give you uh, notes to follow along with, and um, and so yes, uh, we'll we'll jump in, into this. And let's begin with a another word of prayer um, as we as we as we dive in. Lord, you are faithful and you are good. You were faithful these last two weeks, and we pray for your working in the hearts of kids and of their parents. Uh, Father, we know that Sunset doesn't do this just to entertain kids during summer break, but um, but ultimately to plant seeds that that grow into the fruit. And finally, the fruit of the Spirit in their lives and their families' lives. So I pray that that would happen and that you would give them that joy and wisdom for the future and rest and recovery right now, we pray as well. Give us eyes to see your work. Give us hearts that understand what it means to walk by faith, we ask this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, what is faith? What is faith? I want to give a couple of examples of what it isn't. And I want to start off with this. Uh, you've, you've all, we've all seen those funny flying machines from the, from the beginning of, of aviation history, right? Where someone has some contraption and they think if they run fast enough or hard enough or shoot their thing down or ramp it up into the air, they're going, to get, they're going to get somewhere. And we all see how that usually ends. But those guys, I would say, have a ton of faith, right? I mean, you have to have faith to do that. You have to have faith to jump out of a plane with a, with a contraption on your back, too. A parachute, right? But there's that. But then we also have heard stories, probably, of people who don't have much faith, right? So they see the welcome aboard, the, the flight attendant coming to welcome aboard to our flight. Or maybe a pilot. You know, I, I went ahead and used that imagery of a, of a pilot. And it's kind of like they get dragged onto the, the flight, kicking and screaming almost, or nervous, or like, drug me up, please. Or uh, you sit down in your seat and turn to the person next to you, knock me out, please. And, uh, and who has more faith in there, in those stories? The guy with the contraption, or the person on the, the Boeing 737? Or 747? We're not going to use Airbus here. Um... <laughs> The, we'd say, well, he has more faith. Who actually flies? Okay? And the point here is faith is not some magic substance that gives us wings. Faith doesn't give this guy wings that actually work, right? I guess faith gave him the wings, but they're not wings that work. Um, even just enough faith to get on that plane, trembling and fearful and doubting and terrified and close my eyes for five hours as we get to wherever we're going, you know. That is just enough faith. It's the object of our faith that counts. And we have these ideas, though, that faith is like this leap into the dark, okay? And uh, a leap of faith we talk about, which says that everything is against the evidence. I'm going to go against all the evidence. I'm going to go against the science. I'm going to go against what we know. Or else... That faith is like an all or nothing proposition, right? It's a one, 
If you're into, you know, the one and zero from computers, it's a one or it's a zero. I have faith or I don't. Or think about, you know, the Harry Potter universe and wizards have the magical gene and who doesn't have the magical gene? Muggles, okay? So I'm a faith muggle, you might say. I just don't have it. But that's not at all a biblical or a real life vision of faith. Because faith is not an actual thing, an actual something, right? It's contingent. Of course it's a noun, but it's completely dependent on a relationship. The person who trusts and the object of that trust. And so Hebrews 11 is not so much a definition of faith here as it's a description of faith. An example, a celebration of faith is full of examples of just the kind of faith that God is looking for in his people and people. And so we're going to be looking at seven different characters, people who, who illustrate this faith here in our section today. And through these lives, we're going to see that true faith hangs on it takes risks because God keeps his word. So you have that in your notes if you want to take notes. True faith hangs on and takes risks because God keeps his word. And I'm not trying to say these things in a happy, happy, you know, you can self-esteem kind of way. I'm trying to say these things because these are biblical. This is what we're going to see in these men. And this today's story, it's, it's only men, but... We know from the whole of the Bible, and we know from, um, from the previous part of our story, and we know from the last part of, of Hebrews 11, that women are women of faith too, okay? Um, but today it's, it's uh, men who are examples. True faith hangs on and takes risks because God keeps his word. So we're going to look at each part of these, and it's sort of divided into two parts. Verses 17 through 22, which is focused on the patriarchs, Patriarchy is a bad word today, and, uh, and, and maybe for some legitimate reasons. But in this part, and the patriarchs here are our examples, are men of, of great faith and courage. And here in the first section of this passage, we're looking at how faith hangs on. And last week, Pastor Jay spoke on verses 8 through 16. And he talked about how, in one of the sections that he talked about, was how these heroes of the faith, especially Abraham and Sarah had a vision for the future. They lived with a view of the far off, right? And I realize that our, that's kind of a difficult concept. We live in a society that does not promote that, as was illustrated by the great philosopher Calvin, right? <laughs> Calvin tells his dad here, I've decided to suffer, I suffer from, a low, from low self-esteem. His dad says, is that a fact? And then he says, well, from now on, my goal is to feel good about myself. And his dad says, you're going to work harder at everything and build some character? Kellen says, no, I'm going to whine until I get the special treatment I like. And he says, he says, he continues, I found that immediate gratification is the only thing that helps me. And his dad says, I wonder if anyone else is as scared about the future as I am. Okay? <laughs> so that's the irony is when we ignore the future, the future becomes even more scary, right? Well... That's, has, has anything changed much? Which direction have we gone in? More self-control, more discipline, more delayed gratification as a society since 1994 when this was written? Or less? I would say we're in an age of what? Instant credit? You know, six months, same as cash, which we also have in Mexico. 
fast food. Um, and that goes from the federal government. You owe $86,000 plus. That was like on Thursday. Um, and and in your, your share of the federal debt. Um, and uh, to even coffee. This may be a little close to home, right? The Keurig is like instant coffee. It's, it's good instant coffee. But it's... So... But faith, on the other hand, takes a long view of things. Faith is looking at the big perspective, looking out across the way and seeing where am I going to be in five years, ten years, ten thousand years. Okay, do you ever talk about the future in terms of ten thousand years? It adds a certain perspective to, uh, to life. So... Faith is looking at the big picture, and that's what allows faith to hang on. And these four men that we're about to see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, give us examples of this faith that hangs on. The first one is Abraham. By faith, Abraham out-reasoned death. And we have to explain that a little bit. Out, what does it mean to out-reason death? What, you're in a cont- contest, and you're like arguing with death, and he says, okay, well, I guess I'll come back for you next year. But not so much. This comes from the story that, that our writer of Hebrews uses here is from Genesis chapter 22. If you want to make a note of that, of these passages, we're not going to be going back and forth to the Old Testament. All of these refer to the Old Testament. Most of them are in Genesis and Exodus. But, um, but uh, just if you want to make a note of Genesis 22. And the story that's referred to here is known as the Akedah, the binding, the binding of Isaac. It's when Abraham ties up Isaac to offer him up as a sacrifice. Because because that's the story here. The story is that God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac. He says four different ways there. Almost as if God is rubbing this in, emphasizing the cost to Abraham. And this is a hard story for us. It's hard to think, God's testing him to kill his son? How does that work even? And our writer in Hebrews realizes that. He echoes this same language. He stresses just how agonizing this is. He says that Abraham wants to take his one and only son. And you may recognize that's the same word that's used of Jesus in in John, John 3.16. He also, the, the writer, he uses the same word for testing. God is testing. And there's this horrible tension here that he recognizes because all these promises that God gave Abraham were to hang from Isaac. They come through Isaac. But there's something that the writer of Hebrews does here. He gives us a little bit of, I would say, divinely inspired insight into Abraham's thought process that we don't get in Genesis. And basically he says, Abraham considered, he reasoned out that God to be able, is able to even to raise someone from the dead. So if you know the story of of Abraham and Isaac, as they're going up the mountain, Isaac looks over at things and kind of takes inventory. And he says, well, we got the fire. We got the wood. I've done this before. I know how this works. Where's the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say there? God will provide. Yeah, if you know your, your Bible stories, that's a famous statement there. But Hebrews tells us, Abraham's wheels are turning inside his head. He's thinking through this, and he's reasoning this out. The promise comes from Isaac. Isaac has to live, but God just told me to sacrifice Isaac. 
So A plus B, the only answer here is God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. What else is there? And of course, we know the story turns out different. God provides a substitute, a ram in the thicket, uh, and, and provides a substitute for Isaac. But here we see that Abraham outreasoned the logic of death. He's looking beyond. God must raise someone from the dead. And that's the faith that sees the big picture, that looks, that looks into the future and says, death doesn't have the final word here. And the other three patriarchs aren't quite so dramatic, but they do follow the example of Abraham. By faith, Isaac anticipated death. What, what does that mean? Well, he knew he was going to die. And he knew the blessing of God was going to continue on and it was going to be realized finally at some other point in time. So what does he do? Just a few chapters after the story of chapter 22 in Genesis, he blesses his sons. Now there's a really complicated sibling rivalry story in that that goes on for, for chapters and chapters in Genesis. And our author doesn't dwell on that. His point is Isaac anticipated death and said, I'm going to lay the foundation and recognize that God's going to do this promise even beyond my death. By faith, Jacob defied death. It says here he blessed and worshipped while dying. Imagine that. What a great legacy on your deathbed, right? A few years ago in Puebla... um, the church that our church was planted out of um, had an incident. The bass player was playing during Sunday morning service, and he collapsed and died right there. Um, and I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I was, I've talked to lots of people who were there, and uh, he left behind a wife and kids. God's provided for them. Um, but not a few people to me that were there said to me who were there, he said, imagine that. You go from praising the Lord in music and the service to into his presence, praising the Lord. How incredible is that? Um, and our Hebrews author here leaves that as his legacy of Jacob. And we, if you, again, if you know the rest of the story, Jacob starts off as a cheat, a liar, a thief, all sorts of bad things. But we see his character grow and transform in the course of that story. And he dies worshiping and blessing his grandkids, knowing that God will keep his promise. Joseph, Jacob's son. This is father, son, son, son. Okay, so this four generations. Joseph looked beyond death. Joseph was the ruler of Egypt at this point. God had worked, and again, there's a whole story behind this. Go into Genesis and read the book of Genesis um, in your spare time this afternoon. Um, But he was the ruler of Egypt, effectively. And instead, on his deathbed, saying, yeah, I had a pretty good life. What does he say? He says to his brothers, take my body and go back to the land God promised us. Because God is going to keep his word. Joseph had a faith that looked beyond his death to God fulfilling his promises. And God did, and the people of Israel did carry Joseph's body out of Egypt 400 years later. Are you planning for things 400 years in the future? 
let's talk about your estate planning here. What are you thinking for the next 400 years? You know, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. But, uh, but that was the faith of Joseph. And so these, these four, uh, these four patriot, patriarchs, these men of God, um, had in mind the promise, I think, that God made in Genesis chapter 12. If you remember that, especially from last week, God told Abraham to leave his place of residence in Ur with his, what, trigonometry books, if you remember that from last week. And uh, I love that. That was great. And, um, and go where I, show you, where I show you. And I will give you, I'll make you a great nation. I'll give you lots and lots of kids. I'll make you a blessing. I will give you a land. So here, what is the writer of Hebrews reminding of us, us of? What is Abraham reminded of? Descendants. Okay, I, God's going to keep his promise about descendants. If I sacrifice Isaac, he's going to bring him back. What do Jacob and Isaac do? They bless. The blessing is to continue. And what does Joseph say? God's going to give you this land. So God is going to keep his promise, even if I can't see it right here and right now. I'm going to hang on, and I'm going to continue because God keeps his promises. True faith hangs on. And I want to say this because that's so important when times are difficult. And times are difficult, right? Maybe not right now in this instant. Maybe times are good. I pray that that's the truth, you know? In some ways, right after two weeks of camp, you kind of come out tired but feeling good, right? But times, there's going to be hard times right around the corner. We baptized seven people on Easter Sunday, and I was like... It's the, too much experience maybe saying, we're going to have something happen here. And something happened, okay? But uh, this is the story of, of Fanny and Julia. We baptized mother and daughter. Um, and they're the ones, uh, their aunt is on the right in the pink sweater, but the other four on the, on the left side are our family. So we baptized the mother and the daughter on Easter. And it was kind of the one big high point after six years of working with them. Uh, a lot of flight football. Fanny blew out her knee in, in 2017. And that was a point of connection with the family. Her dad started coming to church and we baptized him in 2018. And uh, then he died of COVID last year. And so they've been through hard times, as you can imagine. And uh, financially, relationally, in family among the four adjusting to that dynamic teenagers and stuff like that outside the family with extended family um, and uh, it's been a hard hard year for them but they have hung on and they've seen God's people hang on to them in our church and they've seen God's faithfulness and God's provision and they've confirmed their faith and so we baptized Fanny on the left and her mom Julia in the middle and the the, the tall brother there um, is, uh, is, I suspect, will baptize him in September. He's confessed faith in Christ as well. They're hanging on, and they can see the big picture. We still talk about Enrique with them, and, uh, and still remember that he's in the Lord's presence. Faith hangs on because it sees the big picture. Then the second part is true faith takes risks. A few, uh, a few days ago, I crossed the street in, uh, in North Tacoma, and uh, there was a lady from out, she says, 
she's standing there and she says, I'm, from, I'm not from around here, so how does this work? Because there's a button, you know, one of those crosswalk buttons there, but there's no stoplight at this particular intersection. It just flashes yellow lights for traffic going across and they're supposed to stop and let you across. But there's no walk, don't walk. And so we sort of explained it to her. And then my sister says, it's kind of like a step of faith. <laughs> you have faith that the cars actually are going to stop for you, right? Now, here in the Pacific Northwest, that's a small step of faith. You know, we're constantly amazed when we come back from Mexico. It's like you begin approaching the intersection and cars stop. And it's like, wow, how does that work? But uh, in Puebla, hey, you better be careful, okay? You better make sure that car actually stops. Um, you make sure that bus is actually sees you, you know? Um, so faith itself is not a, a guarantee. Faith does not give you wings. Faith does not cushion your head against the pavement, pavement when the car hits you, okay? Faith is a relational thing. Faith is, has an object. Faith has a basis in the real world. And that's what we see now in these stories from the life, mainly the life of Moses. That faith takes risks, not in a, ooh, um, you know, happy, clappy kind of way, but in a very real-world, gritty way. Uh, So let's take a look at these stories from the life of Moses. True faith takes risks. Um, The first one, verse verse 23, Moses defied injustice. And I'm going to give Moses the credit here. Um, because, but, because that's what our author, author does. He says, by faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. So Moses is the subject of the verb, but who really did the hiding? Whose faith is this? It's his parents, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They saw uh, that he was a beautiful child, um, and they did not fear the edict, the command of Pharaoh. Imagine what would have happened maybe if Moses had been an ugly baby. You know, Um, we have to ask that question sometimes. Those are the hard biblical questions that you have to ask sometimes. Um, No, I think we understand the point. This child is special. God's going to do something. We trust that God is going to do something with this child. And we're going to defy this unjust edict from the king. And we are going to preserve the life. And Pharaoh's own daughter is the one that God uses to save Moses. By faith, Moses, really his parents, defied injustice. By faith, Moses defined his identity. Okay? What does that mean? Well, he identified with God's people. Okay? And this is the longest of the, the five parts here in the story of Moses because it gives his motivation. Suffering with the people of God rather than the Fleeting, I like how the Christian Standard Bible says it, fleeting pleasures of sin, reproach for the sake of Christ uh, as greater than the treasures of Egypt. So reproach, disgrace is greater than treasure of the richest country of the world. And looking ahead to the reward. So we're connected back to the patriarchs. He sees, his faith is hanging in there and taking risks because he sees the big picture. Faith sees beyond the circumstances and risks and heartaches of the moment and says, Christ will be sufficient. And think about throughout Christian history, how many Christians have lived out their lives with that reality? From the catacombs of Rome to the missionaries who, who Christianized at least um, 
dark Europe, right, who went to the pagan Germans of Northern Europe uh, and, and said Christ is enough, to the, uh, the slaves in the U.S., to the reformers in Europe later on, to the um, Christians in communist countries, and to our brothers and sisters around the world currently who are risking and suffering for Christ. They see that reality. They see that future, and they risk. It is a risk. We had, um, we had our brother and sister um, Bart and Tiffany here, missionaries, and they work with Muslims. They work with Muslim ref- ref- refugees. And she was very aware and explained um, briefly, but just there's a cost. There's a cost to following Christ. It's a risk. But that risk says it's worth it. By faith, Moses resisted evil. We love being in Mexico. We've always felt safe. But we do know there are some harsh realities there. Okay, I got out of our house once and there was a friend who was outside off a bus in front of our house. And they'd just been robbed at gunpoint. Okay, So there's times when you hear the news, you hear about corruption and you say, I think I'm just going to huddle down and not leave the house for 10 years, you know? But we're not called to live by fear. Moses resisted evil. He did not let the fear control him. And it says here he didn't fear the wrath of the king, right? But if you go to Exodus chapter 2, verse 14, you read that Moses was afraid when he found out that his murder of the king was, or murder of the Egyptian was Known. So there's a story where he defended an Israelite, killed an Egyptian slave driver, and, uh, and thought no one knew, and he got found out, and he fled for his life, okay? But I think the point here is simply that Moses did not let that fear control him. Moses acted, and then he did what he had to, right? Um, so not being afraid, we kind of know, is not the same thing as courage, right? Courage is acting even in your fear. Um, So Moses' fear did not control him. He disregarded it and left Egypt behind, trusting the God of his fathers. Then in verse 28, the author fast-forwards the Passover. Moses obeyed. How? Well, God gave the instructions for Passover, right? They obeyed the instructions. They killed the lamb. They put the blood on the door. They stayed inside their houses. They ate the meal. Was that an act of faith? Yes. Now, a couple other questions to shed a little light on faith here. Were Moses and the Israelites great examples of faith? Well, Moses was, I think. The Israelites, eh, if you follow the story after this, not the best. Um, Well, was this a blind leap of faith to follow, to obey, to follow God's instructions? Well, remember, they've already seen nine, nine plagues. Water turned to blood, darkness over the land, hailstones in one place and not in the field right next door. Okay? They've seen God work. They've lived out nine cycles of God saying, I'm going to do this, and this happens. Okay? Was this a blind leap of faith? No. Was it faith? Yes. Was it a risk? Yes. God doesn't ask blind faith of us. And then Israel moved. So we, the story of the Exodus, God works the plagues, 
Israel, Egypt, Pharaoh says, finally, get out of here. And they go. Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after them. And they're stuck between a rock and a hard place, or if you're a Tolkien fan, uh, between the frying pan and the fire. Okay? And what happens? God opens the Red Sea. And they pass between, between walls of water on dry land. And if you know the rest of the story, the Egyptians look and say, hey, they can do it, so can we. Vroom, after them, boys. Nobody lives forever. And, uh, and so they, uh, they go, and the walls of water fall on the, on the Egyptians, and they drown. And I, I would say the crucial difference here is that the Israelites trusted in God. The Egyptians trusted their eyes. Okay? The faith of Egypt was in the wrong place. Their eyes, a temporary path through the sea. And here's where we come to our crucial point about faith. The object of your faith makes all the difference. Faith is not a magic substance. It doesn't work wonders by itself. But God does. The object of your faith makes all the difference. So when you have your little boy in a tree and you say, Jump out, I'll catch, me. I'll catch you. His faith is in you. His faith in you doesn't give him... If you step out of the way, what's going to happen? A trip to the emergency room, probably, right? But a good dad catches that little boy. And that little boy has had experience, has a relationship with you, and knows that I can jump and he'll catch me. I had a nephew do that just a few days ago, and that was awesome. Um... But in our church, we've had a, we have a couple that, that's had marriage issues. And a lot of us have worked with them, and it's been really hard. It's still really hard. And In short, though, I would say simply the big issue in their relationship is faith. He says, if I obey God and love her unconditionally, she's not going to change. And I'll have the weaker hand. And she says, if I obey God and submit to him, he's not going to change. And I'll have the weaker hand. They don't trust. They don't trust each other. They don't trust God. They aren't taking that risk. Faith says, I'm going to obey God even when I don't say, see the end result. Because God keeps his word. So your life, you may be confronting some of these issues that we've seen here, right? Death, unrealized hopes, external pressures, fears, your identity. I mentioned a marriage in our church here. I can't possibly list all the situations we may be going through here. But I ask, what is your situation? What are you going through? What is your challenge? And faith is not some magical substance to help you through that. It's not, again, it's not a thing that you measure. No. Faith is a relational reality. It's trusting in someone who is dependable. And faith, because of that, it has dirty hands mixed with dirt and grease. It's getting into the engine of our lives and working trusting that God will fix things as well. 
True faith hangs on. It takes risks because God keeps his word. And God's given us different ways to believe this. He's given us fantastic intellectual evidence for the Christian faith. The text of the Bible has enormous reason to trust it and believe that it's, that it's faithful to what was originally written. The historical evidence for Christ is great. The resurrection of Christ. Okay? But we also have subjective evidence. The experience of our lives. What God has done in my life. We could, how many testimonies could we tell right here in this room? How many testimonies have we given you? Well, just a few of the many in our, from Puebla. So there's reason to trust. It's not a blind leap of faith. But it still is faith. True faith hangs on. It takes risks. Because God keeps his word. And he did. He sent his son. Jesus, born of a virgin. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Kept the law of God that no human being has kept. Can keep. Died a substitutionary death in our place, that we owe. And God raised him from the dead to vindicate and show, I have done it. I am the victor. That is the God who's worth trusting. God keeps his word. He cannot not be faithful. And so I'm just going to finish with this story about Roberto. Roberto is one of our men at church. And they started coming right about the first sunset team uh, five years ago. And uh, he'd accepted Christ before at a Billy Graham crusade. And they'd moved back to Puebla. And um, we connected up with his grandsons. So there's his daughter and his grandsons. And in 2017, we baptized Sharon, is her name, Sharon. And... Uh, Axel and Dylan, and um, then at the start of COVID, Sharon died. So last year, in April, we did a very dramatic funeral for her, and um, Roberto and Vicky have been through the ringer. That's hard, but they are hanging in there. They're hanging on. They have that bigger picture, and over this time of COVID. Um, we and leadership have recognized Roberto as a leader at church. And he stepped into leadership as one of our elders, along with Edgar that we showed from the video. And is faithful, is wise, is humble. And we are so thankful for him. And he's taking risks because next month, here in August, he's going to be preaching his first sermon. Uh, so, so God has been faithful in the life of Roberto. And uh, we are so thankful for, for him and uh, many other stories that we can take. But I want to encourage you, hang in there. Whatever your situation, whatever your problems, hang in there. Take risks. Again, not in a new age, you can do it kind of way. But serve the Lord. Be faithful. Work as many of you do as the evidence of the last two weeks is right there. And base that in a God who always, always keeps his word. Father, you are faithful and we are thankful. 
You are good. And we depend on you. We pray your mercies, your grace, your strength to grow in that knowledge and that trust these weeks and this year. And we know that you are always good. Thank you. In Jesus' name.